So we are picking up with um, God's creating activity. Which is chapter six. We're right around page 130 is kind of where we left off or maybe 132 because we talked about um, immediate and immediate but we haven't gotten to the topic of um, concurrence, <laughs> which, is, which is kind of a fun one. Um, first of all, any questions from last time? Or any other questions from what we had, had read in addition to what we had talked about? <clears throat> okay. So I think uh, toward the end of toward the end of class last time we talked about um, some matters that are a, that are a question of Christian freedom that get into questions of both both the morality and the ethics um, such as you know we talked about the example of immunizations um, that was included in our in our study guide as a as a question um, and that kind of brought in the the question also of um, in vitro fertilization which is a, a broader topic entirely. Um, and the, the short answer is that, um, is, it, is it something that a Christian may pursue? Um, yes, but it is something that a Christian would be very cautious about and that the choices a Christian would make in that regard are probably, um, might end up you know, being costing them more either in a monetary sense or in, in the emotional sense. Um, because of their a Christian's unwillingness to um, to just create a, a large number of new lives um, without any intention of trying to nurture that life all the way through to to birth. That was a quick summary from last time. If you want a little bit more about that, um, I can send you a link to one of our websites um, from Christian Life Resources. Um, they're, they're a group that's not funded by our church body, but it's staffed by people of our church body. And they often have the responsibility of writing, you know, specific statements about, uh, different life topics, everything from abortion at the beginning of life, all the way through, um, different forms of euthanasia and, uh, end of life decision-making and everything in between. Um, and actually our next guest speaker is going to be on Transfiguration Sunday, um, and he's going to be one of the pastors from Christian Life Resources. And if you want to be prepared for him to come, you don't have to check out their website, although you certainly could. Um, but if you're looking for something fun, um, check out the older, yeah, older, like 1994 movie of um, Harrison Ford in the movie Patriot Games. Um, and so the, the pastor who's coming, he was a second career pastor and his previous job, um, like the, the way, the only way that he's explained it to me was, um, basically Harrison Ford in Patriot games where the government, you know, officials were camped outside of his house to keep him safe. Um, that was his, you know, pastor Samuelson's actual experience for a period of time, um, because of, you know, the sensitive nature of the job that he had for the government. So if you, <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie in a while, that would, uh, prepare you for pastor Samuelson to, to come and talk. Um, and so that kind of, that kind of picks us up with the providence of God. Um, yeah, please. Yeah. Romans chapter eight, uh, verses 28 through 39.
I guess I'll read for a little while and then we'll take a, uh, take a volunteer. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, because those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then will we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things along with him? Who will bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, was raised to life, is the one who and and who is also interceding for us. What will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, Neither things present nor things to come, nor powerful forces, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so if you look at this, um, there's probably at least three or four things that you could pick out and say, well, that sounds unpleasant. And I would rather this not happen to me. Um, but Paul introduced that entire section by saying that, uh, verse 28, um, that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. And that promise in verse 28 is, isn't grounded in, um, in your love for God, as if 28 just stands on its, on its own. But verse 28, and the promise of 28 is, is found in verse uh, 29 and 30, um, that the promise of verse 28 is based on God's election and the fact that God has chosen you, that he knew you, he predestined you to be his own, he chose you to be his own, he brought you to faith during your lifetime. And because he brought you to faith, that is your guarantee that God will use everything that looks bad in your life, everything that looks disastrous, and it may very well be heartbreaking and heart-wrenching, um, that God will use all of those things for your eternal good. Um, even if it is persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or trouble or distress, all of it. Okay. Any other comments on that before we get into, I think, concurrence? And I didn't do a lot of things to deserve 
Yeah. Which also means that, you know, I can't really do anything to, to mess up God's intent to bless my life. Um, aside from, you know, despair and walking away from him in unbelief. <laughs> um, but, but you've got such great and tremendous promises that, yeah, there's a lot of joy. Um, and I think, and, and even there, even the, what I like to draw the distinction between joy and happiness, that, that happiness is based on the events that happen to us. And that joy is based on the reality of what God has promised to us. Um, and so we can be joyful even at times when we aren't happy um, because of those exact promises. Anything else? Romans 8. I had, uh, I had the privilege of going to a Lutheran high school for my, my education as a, as a high school education. Um, <laughs> and I mean, Lutheran students are, are sinful like other students. So it wasn't like a perfect high school, but at the very least we had some religion classes one, one of which was a class on Romans. And, um, and the, the teacher said, if you, if you memorize and recite the, the whole chapter of Romans chapter eight, then I'll give you an A for the entire semester. And uh, looking back at it now, it's only 30, 39 verses long. You know, that wouldn't have taken too much effort. <laughs> but I, I know. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I'm not intense like that. I probably should be. <laughs> Uh huh. So, kind of where we left off, um, we talked about God's immediate and immediate preservation, and um, with you know the idea there is that immediate that God works through means, um, such as He preserves life on this world by sending rain that makes plants grow, um, or immediate where God acts directly upon things. Um, and, you know, we might say that a lot of what happens in space um, or, you know, I can't, I didn't have anything that really came to mind right offhand, aside from, you know, acting immediately to, to work, you know, to preserve, you know, and guide, guide history in a little bit more general way. Um, but the next one is God's providence and concurrence. God's concurrence. And this is, this is one that's usually a little bit more challenging for people. Um, if you're looking at, I guess, page, page 134 onto 135, and this is, um, at least, at least helpful. What do we have for a definition of God's concurrence? What do we mean when we say, when we're talking about God's concurrence in evil? <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, God's concurrence, um, which usually is referring to God's concurrence in evil. And, um, and that term concurrence means to run alongside. The curl part meaning to run and then con along with. So God's concurrence. Um, and what we, what we, yeah. I guess what we mean, what we mean by that is kind of summarized for us um, at the top of 135 in that first full paragraph. Um, so then is God responsible for murder? 
The answer to the apparent problem lies in a distinction that we make on the basis of scripture about God's concurrence. We're using the term without defining it yet. Um, when natural laws or principles in nature are carried out, we say that God concurs in them materially. He concurs when the sun shines and the rain falls for the benefit of the good and the evil alike. And so concurrence is, um, is that God enables things to function exactly as they have been set up to function or arranged to function um, according to the laws of nature. And so concurrence means that um, it, it's both, you know, if Pastor Hagen drops a baseball, it's going to fall because God is making sure that gravity exercises its force on that baseball. Um, that when we talk about God's creation, it's not just he set up the laws and then, you know, okay, you're on your own now, but that God is active in, in each of those laws to make sure that they keep carrying out their, their specific properties, the properties that he designed for them and gave to them. Where it gets a little bit more sticky then is, um, is like in the use of, of a firearm to commit a crime, for instance, and somebody pulls a trigger to murder somebody else, um, to what extent can God be blamed for that? that? And it's kind of this question, either God didn't care about this, or God doesn't have a standard for evil, or God is enabling that person to commit murder as if to say God can be blamed to a greater or lesser degree for providing the ability to create evil or do evil. Yeah. So in the case of a firearm, though, there's no evil in a firearm. It's just a different thing. Yeah. So the evil comes from man or the devil. Uh -huh. Yeah, definitely. And, um, or even, you know, a little bit more, more broadly, um, you know, a, uh, an atomic weapon, for instance, like dropping a, a bomb on somewhere in Japan at the end of World War II. Um, you might dispute and discuss the motives behind it, but the, just the bare act of, um, of using, this, using this bomb to obliterate a city um, and that there were innocent people there who had, no, who had no horse in the race of World War II. And so that, that's really the question of concurrence and where, where people try to where people try to work with that is to say that um, since God provides the ability for these things to happen, that therefore God is in some way responsible. That since God provides the ability for physicians to make mistakes or physicians to, um, you know, commit abortion or um, for murderers to commit murder, um, that God doesn't step in and stop these things from happening. Therefore, God has some responsibility for these things. And, and it, sound, it sounds like, like jumping backwards through hoops, but that's, but that's exactly the, the question. And so concurrence, um, like the, the summary that, we, that I like to use, is that God provides the ability that that gun would not fire if God were not there making sure that that gun fired to the same degree that God is with your chair to make sure that it functions exactly as that chair was designed. Um, and that bomb would not explode if God had not made sure that that bomb would, um, that all of its design and its function was carried out exactly as it designed and functioned. Yeah. Whenever it, it, it 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so like walking back a little bit from horrifically violent acts, <laughs> um, say there's there's cars traveling on 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 the roadway as they happen every day, and there's one morning where it's a little bit icier, and somebody doesn't step on the brakes soon enough, and um, and then put somebody else in the hospital. Um, to what extent can can God be blamed for that? You know, if God is the one who makes a car go, that God is the one who makes sure that a car, that, that gravity functions, that inertia functions, and that friction between, you know, brake pads and tires and pavement make a car stop. God is the one who controls the weather. And God is the one who made sure that that particular day it dropped to 29 degrees instead of 33. <laughs> and so what we end up with is, um, is that, yes, number one, God provides the ability for all these things to happen that God is there making sure that these things function as he designed them according to the laws that he has set up and that he has given human beings a limited capacity to make designs like that, um, such as an artificial heart, which we would say is a good thing. <laughs> um, however, God does not bear the culpability for the use of that thing. He provides the ability, but he does not, he does not bear the culpability that he doesn't bear the blame for the misuse of something. Yeah. It's God's And no one no one's blaming the devil or blame anybody, right? Yeah. And, and I think that that's exactly correct. Um, that the question the day after any tragedy is where was God? And instead of the question the day before, um, where was that person when they should have been, you know, repenting of their ways? Um, or the question of, you know, some of the, some of the questions that we, that we discuss, like, in when you're learning how to be a pastor and, um, and making medical decisions, like there are, there are beautiful technologies that have kept people alive today. And, but the result is that there are a whole lot more, there's a whole host of decisions that even 50 years ago, people didn't have to decide um, because, um, because we're able to keep somebody alive through artificial ventilation or something like that. And, um, and in many of those cases, it can turn out to be a blessing. 
Um, but even then, because we live in this sinful world where our bodies have been corrupted, um, it also means that there's more opportunity for and more fragility, I guess, in, in the human body. So that, that's the idea of, um, of concurrence, that God, that God enables things to function as according to the laws that he has set up. And, um, and part of the laws that he has set up means that things also function according to the way that human beings design things in line with those laws. And even though God provides the ability, um, he does not bear the culpability that we can't blame God for the misuse of technology um, of, of any sort. And, um, and human beings still bear the, the accountability. And, but that, that's an in interesting point about, um, you know, the, the question of where was God on like the day after, um, but then only blaming the devil or unbelievers. Well, when I need an excuse, the devil made me do it. Um, <laughs> and, and all that does is provide a little bit more insight into the, the deep corruption of the, the human flesh um, that doesn't want to be accountable to anybody for anything. Anything else? Yeah, Desiree. Yeah. And I think that even that's something that I don't think we want to do. We want to understand how it's there and There's also a lot of Yeah, and, and so together with that, um, like the book of Job is is a fantastic example. And we'll probably we'll probably have it in Bible study on a Sunday morning one of these one of these weeks. Um, but in the book of Job, it, it starts with it starts with um the, the angels presenting themselves before God, and then Satan comes and presents him, you know, comes and talks to God, and God's like, Where have you come from? And Satan's like from wandering back and forth throughout the earth. And the, the, the answer that is too simple for the book of Job would be just to say that God allowed Satan to inflict Job with all this pain. 
because in the second time when, when Satan comes before God, after wiping out all of Job's wealth and his children died in, in the collapse of the house, um, God says that Satan incited him against Job, um, where God, God took responsibility for allowing and even sending those things that, that happened to Job. And, and that, I think that fully sets the stage for the rest of the book where they're trying to figure out why did this happen to me? And Job's like, I didn't do anything wrong. And his friends are like, yeah, you did. <laughs> and Job's like, all right, fine. I, I want my, my redeemer to come here and I'll ask him some questions. And then it, it's this beautiful crescendo to, um, to God asking Job questions. Like it's like three chapters of God saying, all right, where do the mountain goats give birth? And, um, can you make light? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Um, and, and it doesn't give Job an answer and it's, it's a somewhat more subtle answer for you and for me, but the whole purpose of the book is for us to, to contemplate and discuss the, the perceived reasons for suffering in this world. And so if you do sit and read the book of Job, you know, it might take you 45 minutes, you know, hour and a half. I don't know. It's only like 42 chapters long. Um, but if you do read the book of Job, just like use pencil or, or make a note of all the times, like any sort of weather event is, is mentioned like the, the men are talking, these friends are talking and then a, a leaf blows through. Um, and then, because the whole thing is this buildup to the, to God speaking from the storm at the end of, end of the book of Job. Yeah, that was not original to me. That was from pastor Smith back at, uh, St. Paul in New Ulm. Anyway, so the last little bit about, um, about concurrence um, is if you look on page 138, um, because page 138 talks a little bit about, about free will and to what extent you and I have free will. Um, we know already that we have no free will in spiritual matters, that human beings have no free will in spiritual matters. Um, but you and I do have a limited amount of free will in external affairs. So things that an unbeliever has free will in are also things that a believer has free will in the ability to choose this or that or the other thing. Um, and, and kind of the way he summarizes it um, in, in that paragraph, that second paragraph, 138. To sum up the matter of God's concurrence, on the one hand, God limits the exercise of his, of his own omnipotence in permitting human beings to be human beings, that is, possessed of a free will in outward actions. On the other hand, he exercises his providence, his good and gracious will, his wisdom, and his omnipotence by limiting evil and even forcing evil to serve his, his purposes. At the same time, people remain responsible when they act wickedly. And so when we talk about um, kind of that, this, this hopefully fills out the rest of the discussion on concurrence about the balance between God's omnipotence and God's omniscience. Omnipotence means that he's almighty, omniscience that he knows all things, and between human free will in, in earthly matters, that you and I have, have free will and God doesn't automatically overrule all of our choices in these external matters. Um, do you prefer to wear black shoes or white shoes. Um, you know, God's not going to compel you to wear one or the other. Um, and, or, or even in cases of, um, you think of like police officers exercising their duty that a police officer has to make a number of decisions over the course of the day. 
and um, and God doesn't automatically overrule him or automatically um, restrain all evil from happening. Um, so that's kind of the other the other aspect of concurrence and free will, not just the ability and culpability, but also um, the ability that God has entrusted to humans to exercise their free will in external matters, um, while you know not overruling and overriding them with his with his power. And that kind of that kind of gets us into the next fun one, which is uh, we'll get to in just a minute. But if you look at um, the top of page two of your lesson six uh, page pages, um, we'll take those those ones toward the top. Why didn't God prevent the devil and evil angels from becoming evil? Why didn't God step in and stop Adam and Eve from sinning? If God is so good and God is so powerful, then how come such terrible things happen in the world? I think the questions are. Uh, at least worth, worth thinking, thinking through as we kind of wrap up this idea of God's concurrence in evil. All right, so why didn't God stop them from becoming evil? And why didn't God stop them from sinning? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there, are, there are people who, who tried to really have an answer for that. Well, um, because the, the most common explanation that, that, we, that you might hear is that, that God didn't want to overrule like the, the free will that he had given human beings in external matters. Um, but I don't think that's, that's really the case um, because that, in a sense, elevates free will above, above even God himself. Um, and just the answer, we don't know why. But we do know that, that God had uh, um, both, yes, allowed Adam and Eve to sin. And even before they sinned, he had it in mind to send his son to be crucified that Adam and Eve could enjoy heaven. <coughs> and so, I mean, if we, if we have any answer, really, the only answer just ends up the cross of Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. I've been talking for a while. Um, how about the next one? This gets into necessity and contingency, which is our next topic. Agree or disagree, Jesus would have escaped if it hadn't been for Judas. And agree or disagree, the Jews were responsible for Jesus' death. I'll give you a minute uh, to either review that or consult with the person sitting next to you. <coughs>
Yeah. All right. How about that first one? Agree or disagree? Jesus would have escaped if it hadn't been for Judas. Disagree. And at the same time, you know, just plain devil's advocate, which I demonstrated earlier in our catechism lesson over Zoom, that I'm a terrible devil's advocate, um, but we'll try. But what about the fact that God said that um, in prophecy, that one of his closest, closest friends would betray him? That uh, he's betrayed by one of his closest friends, and exactly the way that King David had been betrayed by one of his closest friends. Then, you know, surely, surely... It, Judas didn't really have a choice in the matter. Well, Jesus wouldn't have escaped. All right. That gets us into it. All right. And what about, what about this timing, this whole timing thing on top of it, if we're talking about prophecy, um, that the Jewish people didn't want to have Jesus killed during the Passover feast, but it's, you know, at the time when they're slaughtering Passover lambs, the Lamb of God is dying on the cross, um, that God overruled their human, their human nature and their human action in this. Um, so would Jesus have escaped if it hadn't been for Judas? I'd have to think that one through. Well, that gets us into at least the, the idea of necessity and contingency. Yeah. Would have escaped death? Would have escaped arrest? <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. And what if, and, and, and it's like the other idea, what if the Jewish people had recognized him and received him as the Messiah? Well, God already knew that they wouldn't. <laughs> Then the Romans would have known. Yeah. How about the second one? Uh, the Jews were responsible for Jesus' death. <laughs> that, That's a yes, and, but it's not inclusive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that, that gets into both a historical question as well as, uh, you know, theology. Uh, were they responsible? Yes, but they handed him over to the Romans. So were the Romans responsible? Yes, but Jesus came to die for the sins of the whole world. So, um, so who's actually responsible? <laughs> yeah. Pontius Pilate. It's Pontius Pilate. What's that? Yeah, give us Barabbas. Yeah. Let his blood be on us and on our children. Definitely. 
And, and I think in that, in that regard, they definitely bear a greater responsibility because they, they had the prophets and they had the prophecies about this coming Messiah. Um, but that opens us up to this idea of necessity and contingency. When we're talking about God's providence and how God, how God cares for his creation and how God cares in particular for his Christians, um, we've already talked about the idea of concurrence where God uses even the evil things of this world for a blessing as a, for his Christians, uh, but the idea of necessity and contingency. Necessity, the idea that things have to happen as they happened. Contingency, that things could have happened differently if different choices had been made. And then you flip that around from not just talking about the past, but talking about the present and, and even the future. Necessity, that things um, have to happen as they are going to happen. Contingency, that things could be different if we make different choices along the way. And, um, and we talk about, I mean, in the book, um, that's like page 139, there's a number of examples on it into, uh, into 140, 141. Um, uh, mm -hmm. But I think, but I think a, a summary, as far as a summary statement would be probably page 141 is about, is about the, the earliest summary statement that we have in that third paragraph. Much of what happens in history is contingent as, at least as far as we can see it. Thus, for example, God wills and decrees that the church must endure, but, and so it will endure, but where? The church perished in Israel when the peoples turned their back on Jesus and his work for their salvation. And so the idea of um, necessity and contingency um, and the question, do things have to happen as they, as they will happen, as they did happen? And do thing, could things be different if they happen differently? <laughs> yeah, the, the answer is, is yes to both of them. And uh, about the only way to, and you know, that, that was kind of illustrated in both of those questions that could Jesus have escaped if Judas hadn't betrayed him? Yes. Did Jesus have to be betrayed by Judas and, um, and then suffer and die? Yes. Um, did it necessarily have to be Judas? Well, you know, Judas didn't have to betray Jesus, but he did. And, um, and, and I think this can be unraveled most easily or easily, most easily understood when we think about things from a matter of perspective that you and I work through life on a timeline. Like we're, we're born, we grow up, we, we, have our, we have our life, and then eventually that timeline comes to an end. And we think of time in a very linear fashion, and we can't think of time in a different fashion, really. Um, and so everything that we see in life is contingent, that you know I, I was driving too fast, and so as a result, I got a speeding ticket, and I needed to get a speeding ticket because I was driving too fast. Had I been driving slower, I wouldn't have gotten a speeding ticket. Now, as, as an example, <laughs> do we need traffic cameras in Toledo? That's something else entirely. <laughs> but as we go through life, all we see are things that are contingent. That if I make the choices that, um, that my doctor encourages, then you know, there's, there's at least the hope that um, my outcome will be different or my blood work will be different in 90 days or my outcome will be different in you know, 90 years or 190. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. seems like some of it is, especially for the past, we shouldn't live our life on what if. Yeah, I think that's, that's a big part of it. 
Um, because as, as the Christian, that's really where you end up. That uh, that you and I live through life, that we see life as a as a contingent thing, and that when God talks about, especially prophecy, you know, as an as an excellent example, like all these prophecies of like the suffering servant in Isaiah fifty two and fifty three, it's very descriptive of the suffering that Jesus would undergo. Did Jesus have to be rejected by the people and and suffer that way? Uh, no, and yes, <laughs> um, because it was it was a contingent act where the people could, they, they didn't have to, they were not, you know, bound by God to reject the Messiah, but it was their act and their choice. And as a result of that choice, um, all that God had prophesied about him would be true. Uh, okay. So you and I live in a contingent world and it's kind of like a, a linear thing. And God just takes the whole thing and turns it on its end. And, um, and so God sees all of it at the same time, including, you know, as, as, as we talk about the umbrella of God's providence, that God sees both what is, what will be, what was, what could have been, what might have been, what, you know, maybe should have been, um, but that he sees from eternity, um, I guess the, the illustration I like to use is that what we view as a timeline is, that God, is what God views as like a point, like a, a pinpoint um, that he views the entire timeline from, from the viewpoint of being eternally present in all of it. Um, even to the extent where, you know, in the book of Revelation, he can refer to Jesus as the Lamb of God crucified from the creation of the world. Because that was so, it was set in God's mind as this must happen, as a necessity. But that necessity already in prophecy had taken into consideration all the contingencies of human action, including what could have been done, what might have been done, what maybe should have been done, as well as what people would do. Um, and so what, what you and I live through as a contingent, as a contingent world, as a purely contingent world, and the only necessity is what's happened in the past, that it had to happen that way, because we're living in the present that is built upon that. Um, but for God, it did it have to happen that way? Yes. Could it have happened differently? Yes. And, um, and either that, that image of either seeing things as a, a point instead of a timeline or seeing things from God's perspective versus from our perspective. And, and that, that's helpful because then we see, you know, from God's perspective, things definitely could have happened differently. Um, that if different choices had been made along the way, then something different would have happened. Um, but it was, but at the same time, it had to happen this way. And that you and I, um, even though we live in a world of contingency, it, it doesn't leave us as Christians, it doesn't leave us um, fretting and wondering. It's really, it's really a comfort for you and for me. Um, because that that's where we have to end up. Because otherwise, um, otherwise, we risk disregarding the promises of God, or, um, or, or downplaying the power of God in our lives and in, in his word. Um, and so even, even some of the, the way that uh, Professor Deutschlander describes this are some of the promises of God, um, like when Jesus says that the gates of hell will not overcome his church. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a general promise of God, and that is an absolute necessity that his church will remain through the end of time. Um, however, whether any one particular congregation or church or church body exists 
from now until the time when Jesus returns, um, that is that is contingent upon upon a variety of circumstances, only some of which are even within our personal control. Um, you think of Detroit, you know, for instance, over the last twenty or twenty-five years, um, and and just the way that the economy met or resulted in a depopulation of the city. Churches may have been doing very faithful work with, with word and sacrament and just simply were not able to, um, to continue doing work within that city and because of the contingencies of the local economics. Um, I guess that would be one, <laughs> that would be one example of, of how God's promise of necessity that his church will stand for all time is a promise that each Christian can draw comfort from while also recognizing that that is a, an absolute necessity, but there's also the, the personal or individual contingency involved with that, that even though that promise is a comfort for me as a Christian, it is not necessarily a promise that applies directly to, you know, Resurrection Lutheran Church of Maumee, Toledo, Ohio. And applying that promise to us and seeing that promise fulfilled depends, it will only be carried out if we exercise the contingencies that God has entrusted to us, such as using his word and sacrament faithfully. And even then, there might be other elements that are outside of our control or outside of our consideration that would mean um, that resurrection is not a church, you know, not a congregation here at some future point in time. Um, and that doesn't mean that God's necessity and his promise of necessity has now fallen flat. It just means that, or, and it doesn't mean that that promise does not, is not comforting to each individual Christian, but it does mean that um, when we talk about necessity and contingency, that the only way to, that as Christians, we, we understand our contingent, the contingencies of our actions that God's promise of, um, you know, maintaining, you know, resurrection or um, whatever, whatever other promise you might think of offhand, that it, that is tied to his particular means of grace, whatever tools that he has provided. So in a, in a human perspective, every, every human has, um, you know, contingencies based on, based on health choices or other life choices, um, or from a spiritual perspective, the contingency and the, the blessing or the, the condition, I guess, is continued contact with the means of grace and continued encouragement of the faithful um, with the understanding that from God's perspective, that things will happen as they must happen. And it is equally true that things could happen differently um, and that, that both are true at the same time. That was a lot of talking, and I'm never sure if I quite covered all the details when I do that. <laughs> Any questions? Um, hopefully that gets us at least into the idea of necessity and contingency, and that from God's perspective, the answer is yes to both. Did things have to happen this way? Yes. Could things have happened differently? Yes. Um, but then when you get to the topic of prophecy, that, that the prophecy that we have in Scripture is um is also seen from from god's perspective even though from our limited human perspective we live through time um, going forward and we don't always see exactly how things will work out from god's perspective 
and we don't see how things must happen a particular way. I know. I want to know. <laughs> just, just tell me the answer, God. You know. I agree. Definitely. And I think, I think that's, that's a vital part as we kind of wrap up this part, at least for tonight on necessity and contingency that, that this is, um, that this is something that we use for encouragement going forward through time and going forward through life. Um, that it, it can be helpful, but it's only helpful in a limited way when we're thinking about what happened in the past. Um, and it's helpful, you know, for writing like science fiction and fantasy novels. Um, you know, when they, when they kind of imagine how things may have been different if this, this particular thing had happened. Or if a butterfly in Iran flapped its wings, what happens on the other side of the world to Ashton Kutcher, right? Um, and, but where, but where, it get, where it goes off the rails is from a human perspective, turning it around that we, we think we understand that if you do A, then you get result B. And therefore, if you got something other than result A, it is your fault for not doing B or, you know, whatever letters you want to use. I mix them all up. <laughs> and, um, and, and that's something that, that um, I mean, if we see it in the world around us, and it's something that we want to be a little bit cautious about when, we, when we're talking about this, this idea of contingency and correlation, because life is um, far more complex than, than a simple A plus B equals C. And, um, and you think of um, like a good uh, friend of mine, um, he's, we've had some of his sermons and stuff on the podcast and, um, and their little, their little boy who is going to be turning three this summer, you know, he's hospitalized with a, a lot of cancer in his body. Like you can't draw an, a one-to-one -one correlation that they did A or they didn't do B. And so therefore C has happened um, that there's, yeah. And, and it's, yeah. And that's, that's where human reason and human rational, sorry, human rational ideas um, know enough of this to, to try to blame and, find, and say that the blame lies somewhere else and not with me. That's exactly what Job's friends did. What did you do that this happened to you? And the book of Job tells us that that is not an answer <laughs> and that there's, that there's more here than, than even Job was aware of. Anything else as we're wrapping up? Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think that's that, that's a really good, really good example. Um, and then even even a step further, that as as part of God's um, God's plan and of care and providence and grace for your lives, that He brought the two of you to a church where where you get to receive the Lord's Supper for the forgiveness of your sins and um, and have a pastor who's a little dorky but he cares about you. <laughs> Come on, dork. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or if I, yeah. Or if I, yeah, man. Yeah. And, and you, you, you it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun thought experiment. Um, but for the Christian, you're like, wow, not just how could things could have happened differently. And not just that things must have happened as they did, because, you know, it was contingent the whole way along, even though now it is necessity because it did happen. So it had to happen that way. Um, but also how God had, had blessed us um, through, through all those things, you know, sideburns and all. I guess with that, we'll close with prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, your perspective your eternal providential pr perspective, where you show us your grace in so many different ways, both in what could have been, what maybe should have been, what wasn't, as well as what did happen. We thank you most of all uh, for your burning desire to send your son, that he would be crucified for the sake of our sins, and that he would be raised to life for our justification. Uh, we thank you for, um, for bringing us into this fellowship of believers together. To glory of your name, we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.